You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 198, covering Looking for Parmok in All the Wrong Places and Nor the Battle to the Strong. Hi friends, hey, it's us again. I don't know why I say it's us again, you know who it is. Yeah. The guy just told you. He, he just said it. He said with Ron Algarwad and Matt Robotham. Damn right. Now the one time the show starts and we're both not here. Right. That's when questions will be raised. Such as, who stole the show from us? And how can we get it back? Is it still the post-atomic horror if we're not on it? Well, I mean, if it's got the, you know, if it's playing the music and it's got Dave going, the post-atomic horror podcast. Well, I guess that's true. I guess it really comes down to Dave because that music is in the public domain. Yep. With, like, Ger- that's a- with Jared H. Henkelbottom and I was the, gonna say, and the who- Flash. I was going to like, who? Who? <laughs> Jared H. Henkelbottom, huh? Yep. Is that like your, uh, your your penny packer? Nah, I don't like that. I can, your, pro- um, I can probably think of a penny packer. I need some time, though. Or your... Um, fuck. Why do I want to say Aldous Huxley? That's a real guy. <laughs> that's that's the real, guy who wrote Brave New World. That's a real person. It's a great name. Yes, Aldous Huxley. No, um, Art Vandalay. There you go. What's the third one? Uh, Kelvarn. There you go. See, don't don't question my obscure uh, knowledge of Seinfeld characters and their fake names. I'm disappointed Elaine never got a uh, a fake name. Yeah, she was never participating in that stuff yeah. while uh, while the guys were, unfortunately. I believe Kel Varnson happened at the very end of the series. Yes, like, it did. He, he didn't have one until like the, the penultimate episode. Why are we talking about Seinfeld? Well, this is the Seinfeld Atomic Horror. That that's really your version of this show. Like when we talk about anything else, it's still we're still something atomic horror. That's right. Really, not very imaginative. You're usually a fairly imaginative fellow, man. No, we got to keep that brand it. recognition. Oh, fair enough. People need to know it's us. Well, well, but we just established it could still be the post-atomic horror without us. Oh shit, you're right. So now I don't know what to think. I don't either. Also, apologies to uh, those of you who were expecting to hear our pal Nate, because we do often try to tease, like, hey, this person's coming up, and mm. we probably mentioned that Nate is super, super busy and will be joining us later in the season, so fear not. Yes, he'll be back. Yes, and in the same number. Yeah, probably just one. Yeah. So uh, the the first episode we have is uh, not only the, the second longest title in all of Star Trek, mm-hmm. Next to For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky. <laughs> the World is Hollow and I Have Touched this Guy. Right. But also, I wonder if there's like a list of uh, commonly misheard Star Trek titles, like like commonly misheard song lyrics. Uh, but also the only uh, Star Trek title to have a Klingon word in it. Oh. And this is all the useless trivia I feel like dispensing right now. So Matt, why don't you tell us about looking for Parmok in all the wrong places? So a beautiful Klingon woman arrives on DS9, and Worf becomes instantly smitten with her, hanging around outside her quarters and making her Klingon opera mixtapes to play on his Klingon 1980s-era Klingon boombox, or Ghetto Blaster. Unfortunately, the beautiful Klingon woman is Grilka, Quark's ex-wife from that episode, which Worf thinks is disgusting because Worf is a racist. Grilka's on the station to get some help from Quark regarding her house's financial standings, and Quark finds himself falling for her. She's much more pleasant to be around when she isn't threatening to castrate him. Ah, love. Unsure of how to proceed, Quark goes to the person most knowledgeable about Klingon culture on the entire station. Dax. 
obviously. Worf, who is still smitten with Groka, helps too. For some reason. The obvious progression of the plot here would be Worf attempting to destroy Quark's chances at love by giving him false information, but mostly Worf just uh, gives him genuinely good advice. Again, for some reason. I suspect Worf is too much of a stick in the mud to even actually play dirty against someone that he actively hates. Anyway, Quark is eventually challenged to a fight by Groka's bodyguard, Thopak, who is sick of his mistress dating a Ferengi, who saved his house and is responsible for Groka having anything. But, uh, since, I think I told you, Quark is a lover, not a fighter, he's not a great choice for the Batleth fight to de the death, so Worf and Dax attach a plot device to his neck so that Worf can fight <laughs> Thopak for him. Once again, for some reason... After the plot device inevitably sh shorting out for a second so we can cut to commercial, Quark defeats Thopak and bangs Groka like a screen door. Worf doesn't help this time, for some reason. Instead, he ends up fucking Dax, so I guess they're together now. Which is great, they both seem to have a, a real interest in ritual suicide. <laughs> Meanwhile, Keiko physically tries to force Chief O'Brien's penis into Kira's vagina. That is barely an exaggeration. <sighs> As we will explore presently. Miles, go have sex! <laughs> Not with me. Get off me! I keep, I keep wanting to say, oh, no, no, she's going to be terrible. And she keeps being totally reasonable. She was crazy reasonable in this episode. Yep. Like, like beyond what you would expect even a, a non-ridiculous character to be. Yep. And it's like, okay, the writers clearly had a moment where they're like, Jesus, this, we made this woman a shrieking shrew. We, we need to, like, That's probably fixable. We should look into... Yeah. fixing that okay after we do after we fix dax which is a huge priority uh -huh. we absolutely are going to fix keiko yes and they did mm -hmm. also they fixed dax yep okay I, i'm not going to go into my actual good thing just yet but my my fake good thing is uh, i can finally talk about this <laughs> it's one of those things where i keep biting my tongue like no we have a spoiler section i don't want to spoil it for yep. people who are watching and there's a lot of people out there i know who are watching along with us for the first time and by the way, if I haven't mentioned lately, I think that's awesome. Yep. I think it's great that people are like taking our enthusiasm for it and, and wanting to watch along with us. Mm -hmm. And if you miss the show, you're watching it now. That's great. Uh, yes, this is a thing we've bitten our tongues on at least since we started doing this series. We probably let it slip in previous series because we weren't thinking yet. But uh, yes, Dax and Worf are an item. Yes. And it's great. Yeah, like, they, they, they both bring out such great stuff in each other. Yes, Absolutely. Somehow, Cor or, uh, somehow Worf brings out a personality at Dax. <laughs> and somehow Worf, like, he ends this episode, like, laughing. Oh, God. I can't think of anything in the world more terrifying than that. I think he gets one per series. Yep. Because he got the one in uh, yesterday's Enterprise in the three minutes that he existed in that episode. Yep. Where he's laughing with Guinan. And and that's it. So, so yeah, he's done now. Just like... That horrible, and its giant Klingon mouth is just open. Yep. Waiting. No, it's it, but a bit just. I love that Dax is not like it, she could so easily have been pining, like, like just like fluttering her eyelashes and oh, why whim will he notice me? And yeah, she never does. There's a real. Te there, I, I feel like there'd be a real temptation for the writers to have her just be, you know, pathetically smitten. Right. And instead, they just make her, you know, awesome. Yeah, she's annoyed that Worf is clearly not picking up what she's laying down. Yeah, and she's not exactly subtle about it. She's not. However, she does flirt with everyone. Mm -hmm. And there's some measure of cluelessness on his part. And then there's probably some measure of, yeah, but she's like this with all the boys and probably some of the girls. So, like, I just need to not. 
pay any attention to that. And nobody flirted on the Enterprise. Right. Uh, Troy was a little flirty. Yeah. And he ended up with her. And you say you saw how that worked out for for me. No, no we, I didn't. We actually didn't see that at all. No, I'm buddy. still curious. Kind of wondering what happened there. Yeah. Did, did, I, I I don't need a whole episode, but did, maybe just say. Did you kill her? No, because she shows up in you know the movies. A likely story. It 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 is a likely story because it's a true story. That could be any person who looks like Marina Sirtis. I suppose that's true. In any event. From the sound of it, it sounds like uh, she dumped his ass when she found out he was going over to DS9 to visit. I, I, if there's well, one thing I've learned lately, it's that Marina Sirtis really hates DS9. I, I knew that a while back. I saw her at a Trek convention probably around the time this episode aired, like mm. somewhere in this period. And yeah, she called it Deep Thing. <laughs> and she and Terry Farrell are real-life friends, yeah. but she would never go visit her on the set. She just could not. Like, It's that whole they were, they were taking the good episodes from us thing. Yeah. And, I guess. I don't know. Frakes had no problem. He went over and directed. Same uh, with LeVar Burton. Yeah. So, I don't, I don't know. The hell, Brian Anyway. Sirtis? What the anyway. hell? Um, so, where to begin? Uh, what about your good thing? I uh, I really like Quark and Grilka's weird uh, burgeoning relationship. I think they play off of each other really well, and I think they actually have some really good chemistry. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's, some, real, there's some great scenes where they're just sort of being together. Yeah, and Quark is so earnest in his courtship. Like, Dax calls him out. And by the way, I like that we're grown up enough now to say, you're just using her for sex. Yes. Dax says that directly to Quark. And she he, she doesn't have to sugarcoat it and say it in TV. Mm. She just says, this is for sex. And he says, not just. It's like, like he, he's <laughs> actually into her. Yeah. It's like, look, of course I, of course I want to have sex. Yes. But I, I want mean, to do Quark. other things, too. Yeah. Like, I like that the basic plot of this of this episode, for the, the a big chunk of it, is like... He's sort of, like, do he's doing all this Klingon stuff, you know, not to trick her into falling in love with him, but, you know, because he's interested in her. Right. Like, and he's taking a, an interest in her culture yeah, because it's important to her. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's a genuine, like, he's genuinely trying, which is nice, you know? And there's a point during the, the fake battle uh, at the end where the thing stops working and he has to improvise. Yeah. And he does a great job of it, by the way. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, we did your thing, now let's do my thing. And what she says is... Hey, you're right. You've shown all this interest in my culture. Let's show some interest in yours. So we know it would have gone both ways. Yep. So it's not like she's just a jerk. It's a it's great covering for him for him too. Like I it love that he just sort of does this weird uh He does I like have uh, to do a um uh, a, speech. a speech. A long speech a, that will take a lot of time. About uh you. Mm-hmm. And my love is a sailboat. Yeah, he he goes with some weird nautical comparisons, yep. and it's very strange. I, I quite liked the it. The aquarium of love. Yes, that's it. I think he actually uses the phrase, the aquarium Planting of love. Planting the seeds of whatever it was the poem was about. <laughs> and then he still gets thrown out the airlock. Yes, of course. Um, But no, I, I, I do like that he is legitimately... Like, like you say, mm. really trying to to win her over for real yeah. and not trick her, and that's that's a huge thing for anybody, but especially for Quark. Mm-hmm. And and it's nice. I just, you know, I like. I, I've said this over and over again. I like when he is a character with actual yeah. feelings, and like he's still a little sleazy. Yeah, but his but, motives are pure here. Yeah, and like the thing is, he's believably sleazy in this. Yeah, you know, you know? like. 
but he's not trying to trick. He's not trying to swindle. He's she actually the reason she shows up initially is because she wants help with some financial stuff. Yeah, and he's happy to do it. Yes. It's just like, yeah, I'll do you a favor, whatever. Yeah. But additionally, you know, we were married and I'm still kind of into you. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can make this work. You know, before I really wasn't into the idea. What with you threatening me all the time and. Yeah, but now that we're kind of friends and we're laughing over all that. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of into it. The scene where she first shows up and they see each other for the first time is really sweet. It is. And we see it from Worf's perspective where he's like, who is she? Yeah. They do a great sort of mock thing where she goes for his, her knife and he sort of hides behind a plate. Right. And it's and then they hug and it's, it's just adorable. Yeah. No, and I gotta say, speaking of adorable, Worf, also kind of adorable. Mm. Just in his pining, in his, in his like, oh. long distance, who is that? Worf is 14. Yes. I've started to realize. Yep. In, in every possible way. Yep. Like his temper tantrums, his just everything. He is like the most fourteen. Yep. Goes goes to his room, turns his music up real loud, and sings. Yep. Write, so... Writes poems. Gets yep. really into a, gets really into a culture by reading about it. Yep. Like he is very he is very clearly a Klingon geek. Yeah, he totally is. Oh, in the war, the the, the first war, Kalis. Was he rose out of the river holding? Yeah, no, no real Klingons even know that yeah, stuff it's like, anymore. Who? And the real Kalis lives right over there, and we still don't care. Yeah, no, you could, you can go ask him. Uh, yeah, yeah. right. Uh, uh, Kalis, whatever. Kalis. Yeah, yeah, Kalis. Yes. Um, I also like that the uh, the old dude. Who's the old dude that's hanging out with with Groka? Like, she's got her bodyguard, but then there's the older guy who kind of speaks for her. I don't really know what her. That dude's deal is he, he felt like, like he wasn't like her father or anything. It no, but it like feels he, like there's felt like he was her vizier. It feels like there needs to be like a senior male because of the way the house thing yeah, works. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me too much. He probably on paper runs the house, but it seems like she actually runs the house. Yeah, like but he has to go to the the council or whatever on her behalf yeah. because she's a woman. That's probably what his deal is. I don't know. I thought he was a really cool guy too. No, he was. And I like there's there's a point where Worf sort of declares his intentions kind of kind of jerkishly, incidentally. Oh, yeah. Poor Morn. Picks a fight with Morn just to show how badass he is. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it could not have been worse if he just walked into Quark's bar and whipped his dick out. Yeah. I mean, this this poor guy sitting at the edge of the bar who who never does like his reputation is that he doesn't shut up. But yeah. that's it. All we ever see him do is drink. Yep. He, he's, he's never hurt anybody as far as we know. And the th- what I love is that he's like, you are in my seat. It's like, who yeah. are you trying to fool? Even these guys who just showed up on the station know that's Morn's seat. Yeah, he brought it with him. It's inscribed. Right. But uh, but then he, the the older dude talks to Warp. He's like, look, you and I both know you've been dishonored. This this can't happen. Just uh, sorry, man. You got to go. It's not like he's spitting in his face no, and calling him a patak like, and like all that. What is that doing here? Like all that over dramatic bullshit they usually yeah, do. Like, look, man, you know, this sucks. But, you know, what are you going to do? You, you, yeah, this you, is this you know is how this, this is our rules. Yeah, these are our rules. And you accepted discommendation. And so now none of us can talk to you. And she is an important house. And you can't like, you know, mm-hmm. you can't. So, you know, take a walk, go get yourself a cold shower and... Or prune juice, which is apparently something that you're into. Yeah. Which, uh, weird, by the way. Yeah. I I like the idea of this guy cocking one of his giant eyebrows at him, just like, alright. 
Well, here's a, this actually is is my bad thing because this was like I love this episode mm. and it was hard to to come up with a, a huge problem, but uh, this this was actually a real thing. I genuinely like the continuity nods on the show. Like I love, oh hey, that happened on Next Gen, of course. These guys really care about the little details, like like Worf came from here or O'Brien did this or you know whatever. Uh, but I could go the rest of the series without another mention of Worf drinking prune juice and O'Brien's middle name being Edward. Mm-hmm. Like both of those things are mentioned at least twice in this episode alone. It, it feels it, just, it, 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 it feels it's a so lot like, like the, the the writers are just are are big fans of the care of the show, you know. Or they're aware that there's a drinking game or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it's such a they're both such strange details yeah. to keep bringing up, especially O'Brien's middle name. Mm-hmm. Why do you keep calling him Miles Edward O'Brien? Like, I don't know any other character except for James Tiberius Kirk, and that only was canon five years ago. Yeah. Like, there's no other character in Star Trek that I know the middle name of. Mm-hmm. Well, and William Thomas Riker because of the transporter thing. But that's it. Well, don't forget uh, Pavel Anton Chekhov. Is it Anton? Sure. I, I, you just made that up, didn't Maybe. you? Maybe. All right. Now I'm just picturing Chekhov getting shot. <laughs> that's fine. I think I'll picture that, too. Mm. It's pretty nice. Yeah. So what was your bad thing? Hmm? Oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking about Chekhov getting shot. Um, I know you were. That uh, Let War Fight for Quark neck device was a uh, pretty dumb fucking idea. <laughs> like... Okay, please to be explaining to the listening audience exactly what we're talking about. All right, about so, here. like I said, um, I call it the plot device in my summary. Uh, mm-hmm. What it basically is is... Uh, you slap one thing on Quark's neck and one thing on Worf's neck, and then Worf can fight. Like, whatever Worf does, Quark does. Like, he's remote controlled by him or something. And I'm mm-hmm. watching it, and I'm like, this is. I was, you know, enjoying the episode more or less up until now, and then I was just like, seriously? Huh. It didn't bother me at all. In fact, they were clearly doing a Cyrano de Bergerac thing. Yes. Where Worf was using Quark to speak to the woman he was into. Mm-hmm. And the only payoff to that in a Klingon story is not reading poetry or however like I, I you know the the famous like I haven't read Cyrano I've only seen like bits of movie I've only seen like, Roxanne yeah I've only seen Roxanne no I've, I've seen some other thing I can't remember but yeah the, the gist of it is that he's he's supposed to be really well spoken and winning her over with his words mm-hmm. that actually come from this guy who's too ugly to date her mm-hmm. but in the Klingon story that would be fighting and so he fights, you know, he uses his fight. Like, that. that's that's just the obvious conclusion to me. Mm-hmm. And Ron Moore, who wrote the episode, said, I really did not want to explain where this thing came from or how it worked. D- Dax invented it. That's that. I love that line. Dax invented it. Yeah, it's like that trend of TV shows in the 80s where just some character, this is my latest invention. Like, I just, Dax is always. This will take care of the plot for this episode of Family Matters or whatever. Yes, but it's it just it didn't bother me. Like I said, it felt like a natural progression. Yes, it is dumb. Yes, and and usually I don't like those. We pulled this technology out of our ass that we're never gonna use again. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I'm surprised you that you did that. It didn't bug you because the episode was so light. Because the plot didn't completely hinge on it. Because it wasn't like a a, a Deus Ex Machina at the end of the episode. Mm. Like I mean, I guess it kind of was. But when it bugs me is when it suddenly shows up in the last act as the thing that saves someone's life. I don't know. That's kind of exactly what it felt like to me. Eh, it didn't feel like that to me. It's just, you know, 
Well, we got to figure out some way to room to fight him. Again, I, it's because the episode was so light, I think. Ah. That's, it just, it didn't. I don't know, I mean, I, just, I was enjoying the episode up until then, and then that thing just, it's like, seriously? Hmm? This is what you're gonna, alright. It didn't, like I said, because it just feels like the natural thing to do with a Cyrano story is to fight, you know, to fight. Mm-hmm. Like, in a Klingon version of that. So, yeah. My actual good thing? Yes. Is, uh, I think this is a fantastic comedy episode in both the A and the B story. We'll talk about the B story in a second. They're both really simple, basic plots that are on paper. It's just like, okay, that sounds like a dumb farce. Who cares? But the strength of the characters and the acting really make it work for me. Oh, like, yeah. Worf is in love with someone, but Dax is actually in love with him, but Quark is having a hard time. And on the other hand, O'Brien is like, that, that all sounds kind of dumb. But it's all, they're all such well fle- well-rounded, well-fleshed-out characters, and... The actors just really nail all the subtleties that it's it's really great and it's legitimately funny. Yeah. No, I, a, like the, all the character stuff really sort of works in this one. Yeah. There's a bit at the very beginning where uh, Bashir is very comically standing outside O'Brien's uh, quarters eavesdropping. Mm-hmm. And Quark walks up and is also eavesdropping. <laughs> and it's like, this is this is a Three's Company episode. Yeah, he might as well, might as well have a glass up to the door. Right. But it's funny. It's these guys have good chemistry with each other mm. and they have good, really good sense of rhythm and comedic timing. And there's just like every scene in this, like there's a bit where Orf is sort of talking about how he's into this chick and Dax is like, you're in love. And then Cisco walks in and says, is somebody in love? <laughs> like It's just, it's adorable. <laughs> and it's it, the, again, the pacing that I have such a tremendous respect as, as an aspiring comedy writer of, uh, respect for timing, for rhythm. Right. Like, very specifically the rhythm of a scene, the way everything happens at a very specific time to, to be maximum funny. And they're so good at that, this this cast. And I just, I, I think this episode really works for that. Mm-hmm. So there's that. <laughs> so, okay, let's talk about that B story. All right. So, as we know, Kira's been staying with the O'Brien family. Mm-hmm. Uh, while she gestates their baby which isn't weird at all not even a little bit and to make it even less weird uh they've been so they've been kind of giving her the high the high treatment yeah uh uh there's a whole scene where chief o'brien is in sickbay with julian getting various salves and and ointments tinctures right for uh, and tonics tonics let's not forget those right for kira's butt yep and other parts of her, I assume. Kira, I got, I got a tonic for your butt. <laughs> oh, good, my butt tonic. Thank <laughs> you. But it's it's clear that they're becoming intimate in a weird way. Yeah, it's actually. It, I, I keep watching this stuff. Like as as Chief O'Brien's giving Kira this full back massage. Right, and it turns into more than just a back massage. But like he's back there just working her back. Yep. And. uh... Keiko's right across the room folding laundry, and I'm like, this is really unsettling. Well, and they know that, too. Yeah. But the nice thing is they don't at first, and then they both have that moment of realization at the same time. Mm-hmm. We're kind of into this. We're kind of starting to get attracted to each other. Ah! Yeah. And it's perfect. You can see there's a beautiful scene of just dawning horror as they're both like, oh... 
and it's it, it you could play it a few different ways but the fact that they played it where they both had the realization at the exact instant yeah. made it really funny to me it's great yeah and there's some really great acting from both of them oh, yeah. because we've never seen like we see Colmini be kissy face with wife yes but we've never seen him properly flirting with a woman no we never saw him like uh dating Keiko on no, TFG. Chief O'Brien became a named, like, you know, recurring character around the same time he got married to Keiko. Yeah, exactly. That's around the time he started becoming a guy, so we never really got to know sing- Swing and Singles Miles. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and there's a couple of bits where he's really putting on the charm, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, maybe I could show you a good time. And it's like, ah, <laughs> uh, that's kind of cool. Maybe I could, uh... Oh, there's two of them. <laughs> he's just standing there with Keiko and Kira. Dear, oh, Ma- Dear Miles, <laughs> how do you fix transporters with Damn boxing it. gloves on? That's where I was going with that. <laughs> Damn. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really weird situation, and Odo puts a perfect button on it, mm-hmm. where Kira's like, Odo, I'm part of their family now. Really? <laughs> Which part? What would you and- say, daughter? Cousin, yeah, and and Renee Albergenois has a great, like, I mean, his sarcasm has always been pitch perfect from minute yeah. one, but here it's he's, he's like dripping with sarcasm. He's like, really, you don't say. And what part wa- of the family? And, and what was Miles doing? Yeah, and 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 it's clear that this is really strange. Yeah. And they're all handling it. Like I said, I want to give Keiko crap for, for being, you know, mean or whatever, but she's being tremendously, like, she's like, no, you 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 go ahead and rub her feet. She's carrying our baby. You be yep. nice to that woman. Like, well, she's being pretty cool about all this. So but what exactly did Keiko say as you were helping Kira out of the tub the other day? <laughs> that would have been my quote because there's that whole scene plays out again with that great sense of timing. With that great rhythm, which, uh, you know, you, you, I bet you looked. No, I didn't. I, I would have looked. You. You <laughs> looked. Where was I mean, Keiko in all of this? Sitting in the corner in a chair. She likes to watch. And it's just, it's great acting, really funny, kind of squirmy awkward, but also funny. Like, not too awkward, not like British office awkward. Yep. And it all culminates in... Well, okay, I need to go away for a while so we can get get away from these weird, creepy feelings. Yep. <laughs> which then results in your quote. Yeah, let's play that right now. Tell me about this this house we're going to. It's a gorgeous 200-year-old cottage filled with antiques sitting in the middle of a deep, dark forest. It's got three fireplaces, two balconies. I see. It's a... 20 kilometers from the nearest neighbor, 30 to the nearest town. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? It gets worse. There's a view. Of what? Of the Halana River. You could see it from every room in the house. And at night, when the stars are out, and you can only hear rushing water. It may be one of the most romantic spots in all of Bajor. That's it. Which is just delightful. I, and he ends up uh, having to bail on all I that. love, like, Keiko basically volunteers... Uh, yeah. O'Brien to go. Well, yeah, because Kira's her. like, I need to relax for a little while. Oh, you should go with her. Uh. Well, well, I mean, 
No, no. You, got, you just told me things were getting better in, in ops. You could take off a couple days. Go with her. I'll call G- I'll call uh, Captain Cisco right now. I bet he'll think it's a great idea. I do think it's a great idea. Sorry, I was just waiting outside with Dr. Bashir. Hello. He loaned me his glass. <laughs> I hope Mr. Roper doesn't come in. Cork, you out there too? Yeah, but I don't need a glass. How many of you are out there? I'll just keep my mouth shut. Are you guys in a pantomime horse? Maybe. <laughs> Speaking of horse, by the way, <laughs> bit of a tangent here. Oh, please. So when we when we uh, prepare our notes for the show, oh, shockingly, we don't do all this off the top of our head. There are notes. As I think in every single episode, I say, do any of you have anything else in your notes? And to which I reply, uh, not that I can see here. Yes. So it's hardly a secret. No. But we use uh, we use Google Drive because it's a nice, just, you know, free thing where we can share stuff and all see it. Sure. It's, it's not a commercial for Google because it's a free thing. But it is a good service. But um, Matt put a joke from BoJack Horseman, the, the recent uh, Netflix show, which, which I quite enjoyed. As did I. Uh, he's, he's got this great bit where he's in denial about something or other, and he just, what? And, and Matt's note is, uh, really, Worf's in tra- into traditional Klingon stuff. And then he slaps a picture of BoJack Horseman in there, and what? <laughs> and I forgot that Google Drive, Google Docs, whatever the fuck it's called now, can even, like, I obviously it can it can hold images that's nothing any text editor can do that but it just i forgot i'm used to looking at words and suddenly there's a picture uh-huh. and just it, i almost fell out of my chair laughing it just caught me you know by real surprise oh i call that a win yeah that is absolutely a win well well done you now if i can teach you how to spell bashir and o'brien never gonna happen never gonna happen. i'll just start putting pictures of them in here and then that would be picture okay. of chief o'brien said to picture of, of bashir Oh, see, now we need little emoji. We need little, like, a little curly-haired O'Brien. There you go. And a little, like, uh, Julian in a tux. And so forth. You know, the Armand Bashir, or, uh, you know, uh, Bashir is, the is like, the, the you know, like, if you want one image to represent him, that's the oh, best Oh, definitely one. that one, yes. Yeah. So that's, uh, somebody get on that. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of somebody get on that... <laughs> I think last week we talked about uh, putting Galron's eyes in uh, Cisco's dad's nostrils. Yep, and guess what we got this week? Somebody did that. Along with uh, a bunch of other great uh, great art we picked up this week. Oh, yeah. Actually, I, I should make special mention of, there's a, there's a listener named uh, Steve Olding, mm. who uh, did uh, versions of our podcast name in the style of every credit sequence that Star Trek has ever made. Yep. From the original series, through all the other series, through all the movies, a couple of variants like the Enterprise uh, Mirror Universe version is really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this week he did a rendering of us as animated series characters. Just great stuff. Recording. Yeah. It's fantastic. It really is. And I, I could totally see those guys fighting dick bats. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, no. But uh, if you go to our website, poststomachcore.com, and you go to, I don't know, images, gallery, art, something like that. Yeah, it's in there. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, You'll find it, you're smart people. Yeah, and there's a link to a Flickr site that I set up for all the great art that people have done Mm. for us, and there's there's fantastic stuff, so check that out. Anyway, anything else about this episode? Um, Let me just look at my notes here. Your what? (laughs) My what? What? 
No, I think that's everything. Oh, no, one more thing. Yes? We have uh, Keiko bringing in uh, Kira's uniforms. Mm -hmm. uh, they've just been washed or whatever. Uh, and they, she no, they've been they've been altered, altered by Garrett. That's it. Um, and she brings out Keiko or uh, Kira's uh, boots, which have been apparently cobbled for uh, better uh, better arch support or something or other. These are huge high heels. Mm -hmm. Now I've never been a pregnant woman before. No, that you're aware of. Um, mm -hmm. but I would say high heels, especially heels that high. Probably not the best for a pregnant woman. Now, I could I, be wrong. No, I am under that same impression. I Again, I also have never been a pregnant woman, nor have I really dealt with, like, I, I, you know, some sort of, like, wives of friends. Like, I don't even know that any of my close friends have been pregnant. No. <laughs> like, I got plenty of female friends, but most of them are not into kids. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm almost completely unfamiliar with, with the situation, but I'm pretty sure that high heels not comfortable. I know feet swell. Yeah. I know that's a thing that happens. Yeah. Uh, but Nana Visitor is also three apples high and needs to look like Michael Dorn and Avery Brooks in the eye. So, you know, that's probably why. Very small. She is. She's wee. <laughs> She's living with an Irishman. She's got to say wee. <laughs> All right. Pressing forward to... Another long title, Nor the Battle to the Strong. Bad. Apparently that's from the the Bible. Not not strong bad, just nor the battle. I'd like strong. to be from the Bible once and again. <laughs> that didn't sound much like strong bad, and you usually do a pretty okay strong bad. I know, right? I've been watching okay. old cartoons. His voice threw uh, me off. I like to say, holy crap. Oh, no, it's a strong bad. <laughs> There's two of them. <laughs> okay, nor the battle to the strong. Someone's going somewhere in a runabout, so naturally disaster is about to strike. I mean, honestly, has any DS9 episode ever started with two people returning from someplace on a runabout and everything goes just fine? In fairness, they're not in the Gamma Quadrant this time, at least. No, this time it's Alexander, don't call me Alpha Deal, Siddig, and Sirach appearing in this episode lofted. <laughs> Hoping to broaden his writing horizons beyond fruity novels inspired by magic head dandruff, Jake decided to tag along with Bashir to some medical conference in hope of writing an article about him. But then, oh no, the aforementioned inevitable disaster strikes and they're rushing off to a colony to save some injured Starfleet guys from... Klingons. You know, the guys we're not at war with anymore. Yeah, we'll come back to this when I get to my bad thing. Anyway, so Jake learns his first grown-up lesson, war is hell. It's good stuff, but honestly, there's not much to summarize here. Horrible, brutal, heartbreaking things happen... Jake tries to deal with it to varying degrees of success and eventually realizes that war is, as the man said, indeed hell. Before it's over, a Klingon raiding party hits the filthy fake-looking cave they're hanging out in, and Jake hides behind a filthy fake-looking rock and fires a phaser blindly. Semai manages to collapse the filthy fake-looking ceiling of the cave, taking out two Klingons. Then he passes out and is later awakened by his father and the cavalry. Shaken to his very core and having seen things he'll never forget, he returns to a home, a changed man. And we are left with one unmistakable fact that we ourselves should never forget for the remainder of this podcast. No matter how cute he is in scenes with his dad, or how charming he is with potential love interests, we must never forget Jake Sisko killed two guys. Oh. I'm impressed. Never forget. Never forget. In fairness, he did it in a war. Yep. He's not a murderer like Wesley. No, but he did kill two guys. Yes. Well, well-known murderer, Wesley Crusher. Yes. Who, let us not forget, killed a guy. Killed a guy. Absolutely did. I'm going to jump straight to my bad thing since I mentioned it there in my summary. Please do. What the fuck, Klingons? Mm -hmm. it, I mean, and I say this not 
in-universe. I say this to the writers. What the fuck? Klingons? Seriously. Like, you did a whole episode about how the war is done. Like, oh, that was all a Dominion plot, a ploy to start a war. And yeah. and we're not doing that anymore. And they're still doing it? And it's not even just they're still fighting on the fringes. They're still fighting over, over disputed colonies. They destroy the Farragut, which is a ship that we've heard about a lot. It's an important ship. Yeah, since, uh, not the original series, but it was in, like, the movie, so. Well, it was in the Abrams movie. There you but go, it was yeah. also it was also in Generations and, I believe, in Next Gen at other points. Yeah, so there you go. Well-known ship. Yeah. It's definitely been mentioned several times. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah. And the Klingons destroyed it. It's like, what if the Klingons destroyed the Enterprise? That is, you know, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the episode, they're not at war again. Like, it just seemed like they wrote a war story. It was too late to to use it, but they just fudged it anyway, and it felt kind of sloppy. I I feel like it was written as a Jem'Hadar story, and then they're like, well, we've got all these Klingon costumes still floating around from last week. We might as well use them. Yeah, and it's it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to say, well, the war is not quite over yet, but uh, yes, it is. I, it's just like it wouldn't bother me if you guys hadn't made a huge deal about ending the war last week. That's what I mean. Like yeah. there was a whole episode about like how the war was, you know, wrong mm-hmm. because the Dominion like manipulated us into it. Yeah. So yeah, I, that that kind of bugged me. Then again, I can definitely see Klingons of anyone just being out there and being all like, well, the uh. uh Fuck it, let's do it anyway. And see, that's the thing. If it had just been them fighting this one outpost, maybe fighting non-Starfleet guys, it'd be like, well, humans, like, they don't distinguish necessarily, or they do distinguish between, like, fighting Starfleet is a war, fighting some humans in a colony is not, you know, not a declaration of war. But destroying a Federation star, like a Starfleet starship, absolutely. That's a big deal. Yeah. That's, I just, I feel like they could have managed that a little better, Mm -hmm. that's all. But that said, good episode. Yeah. Really good, like, powerful stuff. Not mm-hmm. much in the way of, you know, actual plot. It's a lot of Jake sort of... Well, yeah, it was it was very thin uh, summary because really there's not much to summarize. No. It is it is like four acts of him wringing his hands and, and doing it very well. Yeah. But plot-wise, they get to the planet, then horrible things happen, then they leave the planet. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all. Yeah, no. I think this is a very important episode for Jake, get, especially getting him away from his dad. Yeah. Like, and I no, th- and, and this was a note that I had was, like, it took them a while to figure out solo Jake. Yeah. Because, like, with Nog, we always enjoyed him. Mm-hmm. But without Nog, we get stories like The Muse. Yeah. I mean, yes, we do get stories like... Uh, uh, what do you call it? The, the uh, Visitor. The Visitor, yeah. Yeah, but that was mostly Tony Todd. Like, this is Sarah Lofton's first heavy lifting episode where he was called upon to do some serious shit. Yeah. And he brought it. Yeah, it's like, the thing is, like, you guys decided to get rid of, like, the other character that this this guy talks to. Well, it's like, it's like if you now got rid of Bashir and or O'Brien. Yeah. Now that you've spent a couple of years setting them up as this big friendship, mm-hmm. now what do you do? Like, it's it's like that. Yeah, so you need to find him something to do. And I actually really liked uh, pairing him with Bashir. I think those guys have a weird chemistry that I've never seen before. You mentioned that last week when, like, Bashir came and talked to him well, briefly. Well, that, that was because I realized, like, these guys have never had a scene together, as far as I know. Especially not, well, uh, definitely not, like, where they're the only people in it. Well, and I was thinking, Jake really, like, Dax is a friend of the family. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, all those other guys are just dad's co-workers. Yeah. Why would he know them? But, I mean, like, I think, you know, I think Bashir's a good guy to sort of tie into. He's, he's you know, he's a young guy, like, he's... He's not that young. He turned 30 last year. I guess that's true. 
But I mean, he's still the youngest guy. In fact, in fact, if if I suggested to you mm-hmm. that you, almost thirty-one years old, were to hang out with an eighteen-year-old, you would find that gross. You're not wrong. Because you find everything gross. Well, that's true. But I mean, I still agree <laughs> are, with are you. Are they human people with human bodies? Then yes, I'm revolted. Yes. But what I'm saying is, I I wouldn't think that, but you would. Mm-hmm. I'm agreeing with you that I think that they are a good pairing. Yes. Because while they have established, I don't know why they went and established that he's 30, because really, I like the young idealist, like, wide-eyed, you know, like, I don't know. When they when they went and said he was 30, that doesn't make him old, but it makes him a lot older than I thought he yeah. was. We came into the show, he was like, what, 27 or something? 27 when the yeah. show started, I believe, yeah. Which, I mean, he's that makes idealist. sense for being just at a start, like, medical. Like, medical school takes a long time. I suppose. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I forget what I'm... I, I like these two together. I do, too. And, you know, Bashir's, like, the... Bashir's basically the youngest guy in the cast after, like, before Jake. Well, and Bashir is at least one step further along this, this like, continuum of naivety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, naivete. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he used to be Jake. He used to be, I want to get out there and see what's there. Like, yeah. this was sort of like pilot Bashir. Like, I want to see what's on the frontier. It's great. And yeah. then you see it's not great. It's awful. And like, wow, Jesus. Well, yeah, there's this, there's this moment right at the beginning where Jake's like, I wish there was a plague or something so we could actually, so Bashir could actually do something exciting. And all I can think is, so you want to see him do something exciting, huh? Yep. Now I'll fix it so you get that way. You, you know, that's not how that goes, right? I think it's exactly how that goes. I just watched it last night. That's not how it goes. How does it go? I'll fix it so you get that wish, I believe what he Is says. it really? Yes. I thought he said, so you get that way. No, how does that even make sense? I don't know, but it was made in like the 40s or whatever, and I assume they talk different then. <laughs> no, Rift Tracks just redid uh, A Case of Spring Fever, so I literally just watched it last night. No kidding, huh? Yeah. it's They they make basically the same jokes. It's still funny. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's is it, is it longer at least? No, it's not. Yeah. When they did uh, Mr. B Natural, it was like, 10 minutes longer. That yeah. was worth it. But well, I think it's like was... a half hour long short or something. Yeah. This this was exactly the same. Hmm. Anyway. No, this this was a good episode and again, you have to take your your naive like really it's a, it's a commentary on Gene's ideal future of every like there's a great moment where he's got to tell someone what he does. Oh god, I like, love that part. And he's and, and I just feel the awkward like he's so far removed from his cushy life where Writing fiction, like waking up at noon and getting free food out of a hole in the wall yep. and writing fiction and then going to bed. Like, that's his life. Yep. And these people who are barely clinging to life on this planet and trying to keep these bleeding people alive. Like, it's, you you write fiction? Oh, so you're, oh, so you're nothing. Yeah. You're, you're less than nothing. Yeah. You're, you're worthless. <laughs> less than nothing. A writer. Yep. Yeah, Aww. but oh, so you're a journalist at least? You're telling people what's going on? Oh no, 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 that's that's an important job, you know. Like yeah. uh, that's great. No, yeah, especially this planet where the Klingons are jamming our our communications yeah. and nobody knows what's going on here. We need to get the word out. That's yeah. good. No, people need to know about that. No, no, that's not what I do. I'm, I I was recently visited by a magic alien who filled my head with magic dandruff and <laughs> blessed me with a story. Oh, it's called Anselm. Oh, well, um, put your thumb on this artery so this guy doesn't bleed to death. <laughs> and I really got to give Sirach Lofton does not appear in this episode, like, major credit mm-hmm. for his 
there there's a very specific thing he's playing here. Like, yes, there's the ideal idealistic kid who's seeing the world for what it is for the first time. That 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 that's a standard. Like that's been in a million things. Yeah. But very specifically, there's the idealistic 18-year-old who gives speeches because this is how the world should be. And, you you know, and, and it doesn't come off whiny. It comes off exactly that self-righteous way that so many of us, like me, mm-hmm. were at 18. Yeah. I, I suspect you might have had a streak like that as well. You would not be wrong. Yeah. There was, this has nothing, well, this has little to do with this. Um uh, back in the day when I was in high school, we would we would sneak out at night a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, we got stopped by some cops. And uh, there's a local newspaper, like a terrible little tabloid in our little town that would always, like, take pictures and just like, harass people. Like, take pictures of people who just got pulled over and just, like, really classy shit like that. Oh, nice. Yeah. And, um, and so I said, being a journalism student at the time, because I thought that's what I wanted to do with my life at that point. Sure. Because I didn't know this wonderful world existed. Uh, I, I I turned to the cop who was about to let us go home and said, he can't do that. My friends are like, shut up. What are you talking about? That guy, he can't, do, he can't take our pictures. We're minors. Al, stop arguing law with a cop. Let's go. And I, I just, I, I made this like indignant speech and the cop was just getting mad at me all over again. And like, I did, I like looking back, like what the fuck was I doing? Yep. But, but that's, that's that age, you know? Oh yeah. Just because you, just because you're 18 doesn't mean you're not an idiot. No, right. And you're and just you're, a new kind of idiot. And you have this idea of how the world should be, and you're so angry when it's not like that. Yep. And then you know you get to a point where you just give up and don't care anymore. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's working out pretty well. Yeah, me too. But I, I, what I'm saying is, Sarah Lofton plays that so well. Oh, absolutely, he does. And. Again, this is the first time he's really been giving serious, like, like we've had a good serious Jake story, but most of that was done by Tony Todd. This mm. is the first time that Sarah Lofton's got to do some serious Jake stuff, and he really, really does it. Yeah. And my overall good thing is the acting in this episode, like, from everybody. Oh, yeah. There's the, a couple uh, of scenes. The doctors are really great in this. Yes. Just the random like, doctors. And usually the guest stars on pretty much all Star Trek, usually eh. not impressive. It's like, oh, so you weren't good enough to get a regular role on the show, so they threw this at you. Yeah, but they're all they're all great, and um, I don't know. Like Dax has one scene with Ben where she's like, "Look, I've had a bunch of kids over my life. I know what it's like to try to keep yourself busy to not think about how they might be dying." Okay, and it's this really emotional scene between two old friends, and it's really well done. Yep. There's this fantastic scene between Odo and oh, Cisco. God. Where, okay, it's, it's this would a nice... have been my quote if uh, if this had been my. Episode. It was it was definitely way up there. Yeah, it's 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 first of all it's a let's check in with Odo as a solid because something you know something happened to him and we're not forgetting this this plot thread right which is nice I like I like when they do that and this time he hurt himself because he was pursuing a, a suspect and he expected to shapeshift in midair and oh shit I can't shapeshift anymore and fell on his ass <laughs> whoops. I was going to turn into a mouse or a cup. I hadn't decided yet. And then wham! I love Cisco's, uh, that would have been really spectacular. That's what I thought, too. Yeah. No, and and that part of it as well. Avery Brooks has this great sort of, he's teasing, like he already knows what happened. Yep. 
but he wants to hear it from Odo and he's kind of teasing it out of him and he's kind of smirking but not wanting to look like he's laughing at his friend. There's a there's a great line in there where uh, Odo's, Odo's explaining, yeah, one of the one of these guys had like a, a tracer and it was predicting where the Davo wheel was going to land. And the other That's one pretty clever. Indicating to his friend. No, he goes, ingenious, go on. Yeah. <laughs> and it's clear he's kind of busting his balls, yep. but also kind of not. It's is great. But then there's this great bit where... Uh, Odo's like, yeah, and I hurt myself. I, I hurt my bottom, or what? I don't know. I don't know what he says. <laughs> I and fell then, on my bottom. Yeah. <laughs> and then Cisco says, "Yeah, human human beings are kind of frail like that." And then he has a moment of realization: shit, there's something I've been trying not to think about, isn't there? Whoops. Shit. And then, like that, in lesser hands, an actor really—that's where the scene could have fallen apart because mm. it was light and funny, and then it got super serious. Yeah. And he just, he turns on a dime and it's just like, now I'm worried about my kid. And now the scene, the tone of the scene is totally different. And now let's both great actors just drive in this direction and they both do it really well. Oh yeah. I love the brief conversation they have about, uh, about being a parent, you know? Yeah. Where Oda's just like, I don't. (laughs) Yeah. I have no frame of reference for this. This has got to be a tremendous pain in the ass. And, and Cisco's just like genuinely like, oh, absolutely. But God, it's worth it. I was just like, yeah, you're a great dad, Cisco. Yeah. Yeah, but at some point, I mean, he's 18. At some point, you got to stop worried about him. I mean, does your dad still worry about you? Yes. Friggin' I just, I just I, got off the phone with him. God. Oh, and there he is again, calling back. And you know what? It doesn't get better because I got to worry about him, too. <laughs> I mean, you've met my dad. You know. <laughs> I do know. He wouldn't let me leave until I'd had the crab cakes. <laughs> and I didn't even eat at that point. <laughs> I had to fold them into a pocket on my chest just to be polite. Oh, <laughs> shit. Smelled... Oh, shit. I think they're still in there. I smelled like crab for a week. <laughs> I remember. I was there. He smells of crab. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> okay. Uh, what was your bad thing? What was my bad? Oh, yeah. Um. Normally, I'm pretty much completely all for them wanting to go out and film on location. Absolutely. It beats the crap out of uh, Planet Hell or whatever. Or the, whatever I said in my summary of this shitty looking cave. Yeah, exactly. But there's a shot where Julian and Jake, they go out to pick up the generator. And it's a very pleasant looking hillside with a lovely country road in the background. That See, I... that didn't bother me at all. Because wars sometimes happen in places that used to look pretty. They don't always look war-torn. I don't know. You know? It's just... they. They're very, like, with the amount of fighting that's going on, and they're rushing dead people, or uh, wounded people in and out, and, you know, like, explosions are supposed to be going off constantly and everything. Like, it just looked very safe, you know? Mm-hmm. Even to the point when the, uh, even when the uh, explosions start going off, or, like, the, the shells start raining down, it just, it never looks too threatening. And that really sort of, that really sort of takes me out of the scene. I see what you're saying. I don't agree with you, mm-hmm. but I see what you're saying. I just, it, I don't know. Like, to me, I hate it when wars on TV always look like they're, they've are they been happening for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the fighting just started, and sometimes it's a place that last week was a park, and now suddenly bombs are falling. I don't know. It just, it, fe- it felt to me like it should have been a little more, uh, worry. You know, worry. Yes, worry. What is it good for <laughs> War-esque. Also, we we didn't mention it, but in the last episode, Quark uh, actually directly quoted uh, uh, "War" by 
whoever does that song war good what god. is it good for good god y'all edwin star is that right uh, maybe i don't remember i fucking but hated that i know you did i thought it was kind of funny <laughs> like how far is he gonna take this because he says war what is it good for like okay that was cute in my say opinion more? absolutely not <laughs> and i kind of expected someone to walk in and say say again say again <laughs> yeah, i, I kind of like good god y'all I just want, um, I want all of Quarks to just break out into song. Right, exactly. Like that episode of Thirty Rock. They uh, there was a there was a great episode of Scrubs where uh, they they did their musical episode based around a guy with a brain tumor mm-hmm. who was hallucinating everyone singing, <laughs> which I thought was really clever. Given the premise of the show, yeah, that was good. Uh, what else? What else, indeed? Let's... Like I say, there's there's not a lot to summarize because there's not you a know, lot happened. Yeah, honestly, I feel like it wasn't overly long. Like it wasn't one of those. Oh, is this over yet? Yeah, but it was kind of like I felt like it was about one act too long. Like I feel like Jake learned his lesson, and then we still had another commercial break. Yep, like just about ten minutes too long. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, I I really enjoyed it. Um, I do want to mention. Uh, you think Jake Cisco is tall? You should see him run. Legs yeah, got really gangly, like giant legs. Legs like a gazelle. Yeah, it looks like an emu. I'm watching him walk through. Uh, I'm watching him walk along with next to Bashir. I just picture him like clearing twenty feet in like half a second. Yeah, Bashir's like scuttering along between steps. Wait, come back! I'm trying to have a conversation with you. You know what it reminds me of is the uh, when you see uh, Homestar Runner running in silhouette. Yes! With his giant legs. Like his, his legs that are two-thirds of his body. Jake Cisco is running. Along. Around. <laughs> yep. I hear you like prancing around like an idiot. Is this true? <laughs> uh, let's see, what else? Uh, Quark makes uh, decaf rectogeno. Ugh. Which he attempts to call Quark to Gino. Not great. <laughs> it's a fine name. <laughs> no, it is a good name, but uh, I don't know. I am, I am. Uh, my feelings toward decaf coffee are what beer guys' feelings are to decaf yeah. or uh, you know non-alcoholic beer. Which yeah. is no, why? No, you just drink water. Yeah. What is the point? Yeah. Uh, what else? Um. I don't, whole, much... I don't have a whole lot of notes here. I really like that Bolian guy. Oh yeah, there was a well. There's a scene that uh, that's in my quote, which we'll get to in a sec. Mm. Uh, which is the, uh, the 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 medical guys just kind of you know gallows humor. Yeah. But yeah, one of them is a Bolian who's a uh, little little chunky. I thought he looked a bit like uh, Private Pile from Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> he had that kind of look to him. Are you allowed but, to uh, have a replicated jelly donut, Private Pile? <laughs> But uh, let, let's let's go ahead and play that now. This is them like facing the inevitable advance of the Klingons with with what I think is good humor. Mm-hmm. According to resource, it's just a matter of time before the Klingons reach the compound. I guess that means I have to decide. Decide what? Whether I'd rather get hacked to bits or blasted by a disruptor. <laughs> disruptor, no doubt about it. Every molecule in your body vaporized in a flash. No time to feel pain. Don't be so sure about that. Some people think it's like being boiled alive. Decapitation has its virtues. Nice clean blow with a sharp battlet. The brain lives on for five, ten seconds at least. In theory, your headless corpse could be the last thing you see. You're so negative. Just telling you what I heard. 
Mm. And then I I didn't play the last part of that because I just thought it was legitimately funny. Yeah. But then Jake has his self righteous speech yeah. where how can you joke about that? And it's very good. Oh yeah. It just it kind of ruined you know as the comedy part of it mm-hmm. kind of ruined that for me. There's um uh, there's a shot when Jake's out uh, among the corpses where uh, you see a uh, Starfleet officer with the entirety of a batleth just wedged into him. Yeah. Now there there was some good makeup in this yeah. one too. A lot of a lot of good. Uh, two people we should mention before we finish uh, that, that Jake runs into in his various travels. Mm. Uh, there is a Starfleet officer who shot his own foot off so that he could get out of the fighting. Yep. Which basically Jake has a moment where he's like, God, I'm a coward. I can't believe I ran away. And then he talks to that guy. He's like, okay, still, I'm not a coward. Still better that than this guy. That guy's a coward. <laughs> and um, And then there's war guy. And then, oh, this guy's great. And it turns out we'd seen him as a Cardassian before. We'd seen him in uh, Dark Knight. Like he's 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 one he's, of those he's guys. Got a, he's a well. I mean, he's just you know he's a fairly well known character actor, I guess. Yeah, and he's been in a bunch of Star Trek yeah. because they they do like using the same guys again and again, mm. which is cool. Uh, but this guy was very very intense. He, he did he he did have that sort of Hunter S. Thompson like pick me up, boy. I don't want to die facing the ground. Yeah, I want to look at the sky when I go out. Here, have some water. Don't you need it? No, we did soon. Hey, where's that water? <laughs> it's gone. Oh, of course it is. I mean, uh, there's got to be something I can do to help you. If you prick me up, my guts are going to coat all over your foot, you idiot. Yeah. Oh, no, my God, it... they're growing them big these days. <laughs> <laughs> that really works there, too. <laughs> it's it's a fun scene, and at first it's like, Jesus, this guy's intense, but then he can't, kind of calms down. Yeah. Because but he's if... dying. Yeah, well, yeah, but I'm saying, like, at first, he's, like, barking, at, like, angrily at Jake, but then he's gradually, like, talking to him. So you ran, huh? Like a pussy. <laughs> Aren't you get a real job? <laughs> it's, it's a fun scene, though. Like, I mean, it's not fun at all. No. But, you know. But I like the character. Like, at first, he comes off a bit over the top, but... Uh... I gotta tell you, I would like to see Hunter Thompson in uh, Star Trek. Well, you need a shovel for that now, Matt. Just scoop him up. Oh, is he is he ashes? Uh, if I recall, he was cremated and then loaded into a cannon. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anything else? I think that's everything. Very well. Next week, we are doing some other episode, Who Cares, and the Tribbles episode. Very yes! happy about that. Very, very happy about that. Yeah, we are. So look forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um, as ever, website, postomichorror.com. Uh, email, postomichorror at gmail. I think that's it. So until next time. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2014. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.